and welcome to and just like that everybody gay tonight a queer exploration of and just like that and i guess we could say sort of like the sex in the city you know megaverse whatever we want to call it right right uh with your hosts speak pirate aka joanna i'm here i'm queer and i have a cat named spencer and your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the church of our dearly departed Samantha Jones. <laughs> so we are coming to this episode. We're talking about, and just like that tonight, because, of course, uh, there were actually, like, much more queer sexuality that was included in the reboot. Of course, since the original series went off the air, Cynthia Nixon herself has come out, uh, and now her character, of course, Miranda Hobbs. Uh, is also getting into it uh, here in the reboot. Uh, so that is kind of what brings us to this, but we're coming at it from really different opinions. I am a pretty unapologetic fan of the reboot and of what it did. And Vina, how would you describe your overall feelings about the reboot? <laughs> I I sort of um I sort of wish we had a soundboard so it could be like the you know like a plane going down kind of sound effect. Um no, I I didn't uniformly hate everything about it, but I did not I would not overall say that I liked it. I would say Let's that. See. But maybe could we talk a little bit about like what was your what's your relationship to the original series? I mean, I have like I, I have a certain amount of nostalgia for the original series. I didn't like, I was not like an HBO subscriber or anything when it was on. So my, my main relationship to it was like when it was in syndication eternally for like a hundred years. Um, but, you know, it was obviously like a pretty significant cultural force at the time that it was on. And in rewatching it, like it was something that we had like kind of looked to as like a comfort rewatch at some point during the pandemic. But like watching the original series now, like watching the first few seasons of it anyway, it's so interesting to look back and see like the behavior that was being sold as like a, a romantic, you know, a, a spunky romantic heroine in Manhattan. Because like, I feel like you could do like a, a episode by episode comparison of Carrie Bradshaw versus Rebecca Bunch on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. <laughs> and like, I, I actually feel like Rebecca Bunch is a bit more stable uh, in her day-to-day -day life and in like the setting of boundaries and respecting of boundaries uh, than than Carrie and her friends are for a lot of the early Sex in the City run. Yeah, Sex in the City gets by a lot on just the charm of Sarah Jessica Parker selling questionable material from Carrie. Um, so Sex and the City is very near and dear to my heart. I would say I have probably seen every episode five to ten times. I started watching it when I was way too young to be watching it and then had a roommate who it was like our show that we would watch all the time. We had the DVDs of it and, you know, we could just say to each other like, oh, like, what era do you want? Like, short hair Carrie when she's going through the breakup with Aiden and like we know just what disc to like throw on. So yes, I, I, and it's one of those shows where it's almost, I've almost watched it so much and watched it for like, it's been a part of my life for so many years that I almost, it's almost hard for me to look at it critically because it's almost like a sh when you, when you love something and you have uh, sort of 
repeatedly saturate yourself in the world of something, it sort of becomes a part of your DNA. And so it's funny because in recent years, I've like rewatched some of the show and been like, oh, like this was a bad episode or like the writing is like really weird here. But back when I used to watch it when I was a little bit younger, like I did, I almost didn't even have that awareness of it. I was like, oh, this is just the the world of these characters that I'm inhabiting. This isn't like a piece of art that somebody created. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely understand that. Also, I feel like the original show, like a lot of their, a lot of, the, for all that it was like, you know, ooh, sex in the city, like, ooh, you know, it's it's all about, you know, these wild women and Samantha, you know, I, I think that, you'll you'll know this but like isn't her introduction that she wants to have sex like a man like that that's kind of her whole sure thing. like she's kind of a a love them and leave them type character yeah. um so some of their treatment of like gender roles and definitely like their treatment of bisexuality is like looking back on it is not great is like very very far from great uh in the original run of the show but I do feel like one of the things that the reboot does is that it attempts, it makes like a genuine effort to kind of be in conversation with some of the shortcomings of the original show. Like they're not coming into this reboot acting like the original show was perfect and could no way be improved upon. Like they are coming at it with a modern lens and I think trying to make some updates to the world. I totally agree. There is definitely an element of like kind of trying to atone for the sins of the past because another thing, I mean, everybody, we are hardly the first people to say this, but like it was an incredibly white series uh, and an incredibly like moneyed series. Like it was, it was showing a very, very narrow margin of like this sort of fantastical ideal idea of like single womanhood. Um, I, I think my you know, and I, I've heard people say, you know, oh, this is, this is, this is woke culture gone mad, the diversifying of, you know, the sex in the city verse. And I certainly do not agree with that. I do think that the way that they choose to diversify the world is pretty clumsy. Like, I, I think that it's, it's sort of odd to me that it feels like these, to me, it feels like the, the main characters are sort of have sort of been frozen in carbonite and it's like they have not made any new relationships until and just like that starts and suddenly it's like oh all these new friendships that are blooming rather than them all having friendships that they've made in the last years that we haven't seen them yeah i totally agree i think that that is one of like one of the downfalls is that it does feel like as you say they've been in suspended animation and then we've like just kind of come upon them as they've been like released from their pods uh at the start of at, at the start of where we're watching them again um and i think that one of the i haven't looked up to see if this is true but i i feel like it's true i think you can tell from the way that the uh diversification is handled i think you can tell that the writer's room is still a predominantly white space um in just in the way that uh, in the way that the new characters uh, who are people of color are dealt with and are, are interacted with. I think it's a really, really white writer's room still. I think that there is more diversity than there was, but I'm not sure, sure that it's like as much as there needs to be. Yeah. 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 So you, so you overall, you liked, you liked this, this reboot. You liked, and just like that. Um, tell me, what, what did you like about it? 
Oh man, I like so many things about it. I feel like it's actually very different from the original series. I feel like uh, it's not as fluffy. Uh, there's a sure. major there's a major current of grief that runs through uh, the season. But one of the things that I just loved about it uh, was I loved seeing the characters still be central to the plot and still be like you know, having having these like adventures and learning and growing uh, and forming new relationships and discovering new things about themselves as they are all so much older than they were in the original series. Uh, I actually, I mean, this, here's my hot take. I think if you pitched a series uh, about three women who are in their 50s, who are living in New York, uh, who have been friends for a long time. One of them, spoiler alert, their husband dies and they're grieving. Another one has a, a trans kid and has to deal with this. And another is like kind of going through like uh, alcoholism and a coming out arc. That show is not getting made. Like that show is not, and it's certainly not being on HBO with like a, a big rollout. Like I, I just don't think you see like a show that has it's you know kind of like sexy female protagonist using a cane to like you know get herself up the stairs because she has like a displaced hip um i, I feel like it was really amazing to see like these these characters and to see them as they're older and what ways they have changed what ways they have not um and, and I feel like it was just, it was really funny. I feel like a, as a show, I feel like it had a good heart. Each episode did make me laugh out loud at least one time, uh, which I feel like is not, not a given. Uh, so even though there were parts of it that were cringeworthy, uh, even though there were parts of it that were imperfect, uh, on the whole, I really, really liked it. And I thought it had some really interesting things to say. Mm, interesting. Was there anything you didn't like about it? Oh, sure. I mean, there were a lot of ways that it could have been, uh, that it could have been better. I think that, as you said, uh, if the characters, if we got the sense that they had grown more in the interim between mm -hmm. the, the period of the original show and now, I think that that would have been a stronger choice. And I also do think that having uh, their relationships with their other friends uh, be existing versus be like burgeoning throughout this series. I think that that would have that would have helped a lot. I agree. I agree. You know, when you were describing like this show of this woman, you know, and obviously, yes, spoilers for all of them, just like that. Um, you know, this woman whose husband has just died, and this woman who's dealing with like potential alcoholism and coming out, and this woman who's dealing with her trans child. I'm like, yeah, I don't think that show would have gotten made. I don't know that that show did get made. <laughs> I feel like the way you describe that, it sounds like a really interesting show. I don't, I think that that's the sketch of the show that, and just like that was, but I don't really feel like any of those plot lines got fully colored in enough for me to feel like this was actually a show where we were watching these things play out to me. To me, the main issue with the show, and and I mean, there's so many little nitpicky things I could I could go to. To me, the main issue is I don't think this show knew what it wanted to be. 
I think it felt beholden to the original fans in a way, and it wanted to give some of the sort of old Sex in the City flair and Sex in the City style humor and bring in a lot of the old beloved characters. Um, but I think that it didn't really, it, it couldn't really figure out its relationship to the past and its relationship to the future in a way that felt particularly balanced. And so, like, you know, like, it, it, to me, there were so many storylines where it felt like they would start and then just stop. Like, Miranda just decides to stop drinking and then it's not a problem anymore. You know, um, Carrie has this whole drama about what apartment she's going to move into and she buys this new apartment and all of this only to just decide she's going to stay in her old apartment. And so it felt like it, it felt like a show that just didn't didn't know what it wanted to be or really like what themes it wanted to explore. I also think, I mean, there were obviously certain behind the scenes things that made it difficult. Um, I mean, the, the, the death of the actor who played Stanford, certainly the um, loss of Kim Cattrall, Samantha Jones, the stuff coming out about Chris Noth during the airing, like, obviously those are things that they couldn't control, but even within the things that they could control, I think that um, it, to me, it failed to tell any one story completely. That's so interesting because I feel like a lot of the things that you just said, particularly about the way that the show uh, approached stories and the way that it told stories, um, I feel like that's something that was 100% present in the original series as well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like, for example, we have like, uh, Samantha is sleeping with a woman until she isn't and it never right. comes up again. Like, I, I feel like the, the lack of like necessarily a completion arc to their storytelling was was often something that I think was was present in the especially like when we think about like the the apartment stuff, because there's like that endless like, is Aiden going to like remodel Carrie's whole right. apartment? Like what's going to happen with this? And then it's just like poof that just kind of <laughs> vanishes yeah and so i i feel like um i feel like we notice it because as opposed to like the original run of the show which just like especially as i watched it in syndication just seemed endless like you know you weren't watching it week to week there were like two episodes on at 11 o'clock every night and you'd yeah. watch and then you'd go to bed like um it's like it just seems endless like the story is just like a story that never ends it just keeps stretching out and i feel like part of this show is that it's much much more compressed because it's like this yes. is a finite number of episodes and this is like a finite glimpse that we're getting uh of these people's lives uh but i would say i mean i would say that it does like if it's a story that's trying to like tell the story like the the way that this show is a continuation of Sex and the City is that it is still about this particular group of friends who are chosen family to one another. Mm -hmm. And it's about how this chosen family at this later point in these women's lives is dealing with a lot of change and a lot of loss. Like the friend group has lost Samantha um, and they're all dealing with that in various ways. Carrie loses big like he he dies and mm -hmm. i mean we know that he had nitroglycerin pills in the 
apartment. So I don't know why Carrie just, I guess that's the bargain you make. If you marry Carrie Bradshaw, you're not getting, like, you're not getting the person who's going to be great in a crisis. I guess that just has to be like, that, that just has to be part of the bet that you're making. Um, but you know what also, I, you know what I say to that, which is a little spoiler for something we're going to talk about in a few minutes, but that's so Aria. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. That's very true. Um, but yeah, so she loses big, like, you know, yeah. permanently. Uh, Miranda is going to, uh, Miranda is going to really blow up the, you know, the very sort of like comfortable rut she's been in for a long time. Uh, and Charlotte is going to have to, like, as the as the season goes on, is really going to have to work with. And, and this is, I feel like the, the growth uh, for Charlotte is one of the big question marks that I had, is really going to have to, like, learn to balance, like, her expectations versus her reality, which yeah. I felt like, I, I felt like, especially in the beginning parts of the season, that I was like, well, what has Charlotte been doing? Like, has Charlotte really not learned these lessons at any point in the last, like, how old are her? Her kids seem to be like, you know, teens. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, it's it just seems like, <laughs> it just seems like kind of late for Charlotte to be coming to some of these lessons, but maybe that is just the nature of Charlotte. My hot take is that Charlotte is my favorite in the reboot. She's, she's not my favorite in the original series, but I think Charlotte feels the most consistently written to me of any of the characters. Um, I also, I, to your point about um, the sort of uh, almost like start and stop nature of storylines in the original series, I think that's totally true. I think a couple of things to that. I think that the tonal shift of and Just Like That and sort of the way and Just Like That was packaged implied more of a serialized nature. Mm. I think TV in general just is more serialized now. And so I think that people have, rightly or wrongly, people have slightly different expectations about what a show is going to look like episode to episode. But that is a really good point. I mean, the original show absolutely played fast and loose with, like, what gets carried over and remembered and what doesn't. Um, And, you know, the boyfriend of the week and all of that. Um, But, yeah, I I think... um, I I do agree that I think that there are like some overarching themes for sure. I mean, I think that like this idea of, you know, you sort of have your life sketched out and you get to a certain age and you assume that that sketch is sort of set in stone and then you realize that it's not and that like something could change and uh, a lot of things could change and you sort of have to decide, like, am I going to roll with the change or am I going to, like, stand, you know, stare it down? Like, how am I going to handle this? And I do like the way that, like, that I would say is a positive about and just like that, that the way that that theme kind of um, overarches throughout the series. Uh, do we want, I have, we have so, I have so many things about this that I want to talk about with you. Um, but do we want to, do we want to talk about some of the queer stuff? Yeah, I think that I think that would be uh, that would be terrific. So, you know, Sex in the City, it had like to its credit, it did have like queer characters who were living in this, you know, kind of like rarefied air of fancy New York in the original run. Um, but they were gay male characters for the most part. Um, yeah. You didn't you didn't really see a lot of <clears throat> a lot of 
uh, queer women. I guess there's the episode where uh, Miranda kind of is like playing with pretending to be a lesbian because sure. uh, for, for her law firm, uh, there's, there's that episode. And then of course there's when Samantha is sleeping with a woman uh, for a brief period of time. Um, so we, we get a little bit of that, but this is much more queer, the reboot. We have, yeah. uh, we have Rock, who is uh, Charlotte's, um, Charlotte's kid who like really rejects labels of all kinds and in a very hilarious scene says they don't even want to be a New Yorker, much to the, like that, that statement like clearly hits Charlotte and her husband so much more than like <laughs> anything, than anything else, else. That, that's come up. Um, so you, you know, you have this going on uh, in Charlotte's arc. And then of course the big, big, big news is Miranda uh, coming out and just like really um, like Miranda's reaction uh, to falling for Che Diaz is like, it, it's like one of those moments in the Sex and the City universe when a character becomes hopelessly enamored with someone who the audience, they just rely on like, well, the character is falling so hard and fast, the audience will be like, ooh, what, you know? Uh, so I would say like, this is like similar to when Carrie falls for, um, oh God, the, the Russian uh, played by- Oh, Petrovsky, Alexander yes. Petrovsky. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, when Carrie falls for the Russian, uh, you know, and, and just like, they're always doing that. They're always like bringing in the significant other that's going to be like this big relationship, uh, regardless really of whether or not um, that person really like, it's understandable why they would be so, uh, so enamored with them, I guess. So now we have to talk about Che Diaz, don't we? <laughs> we do, we do. <laughs> hey, it's me, Che Diaz. Um, a, a joke that's months old at this point. Um, so, so topical. So what do you make of one Che Diaz? I think that Che Diaz is, is like so much attention has been paid to like this character of Che Diaz and like, are they underwritten? Of course they are. Like, are they, you know, are they like a fully formed or fully realized part of this world? No, of course they are not. Um, but like, do we all know, do we all know people in the queer community like Che Diaz? Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, I think like, I think that like the focus on Che Diaz is like, is interesting because the really fascinating thing about Che Diaz is this journey that Miranda is going on. Like Miranda is falling in puppy love. Miranda is falling mm -hmm. in like, you know, Miranda is acting like a teenager. Uh, you know, you, you see that when she's like heading over to Che Diaz's apartment with like some, their cookies or pastries or something from a bakery. Um, and I think that, I think that the really important thing about Che Diaz is that like, they are eliciting this response from Miranda. It's almost like Miranda, like after the hookup with Che Diaz takes place, like, Miranda is acting like she's been like the, the princess who's asleep in a fairy tale, like all this time. And like, she is just like, I think she even says that when she's talking to Charlotte and Carrie in the park, when she says like, it made her feel alive. Yeah. Yeah. 
yes, yes. The 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 infamous uh, kitchen scene made her feel very very alive. Yeah, and I, you know, oh boy, I have a lot to say about Che Diaz. Um, so I, let me start this off by saying I was also a massive Grey's Anatomy fan. And so, like, I spent many, many seasons watching Sara Ramirez on Grey's Anatomy. I think Sara Ramirez is an incredibly talented individual uh, and, like, always brightens a screen whenever they show up. I feel like I was trying, as you were talking, I was, like, trying to think of, like, what the metaphor for Che Diaz that I feel is most appropriate. Because there are, like, a lot of metaphors uh, that, that that could work with this particular character. And I I sort of feel like um, if we imagine like, okay, like Sex in the City is like a person who has not eaten any food in a very long time uh, and is very, very hungry. And uh, the food, the in, in this metaphor, let's say food is like queerness, okay? And uh, Sex in the City is comes upon this whole buffet of, of, of queer experience and is like... Rather than just having a little bite here and a little bite there and a little bite here and a little bite there, I'm going to eat it all at once. I'm going to eat pickles and cake and hot dogs and foie gras and oranges and apples. And it's like, that's kind of how I feel the writing is for Che Diaz. Like, Che Diaz is Yas Queen queer. Che Diaz is, um, you know, uh, stand-up comedy TED Talk queer. Che Diaz is California girls singing queer. Che Diaz is like podcast queer, but also like kind of a fuck boy. Like Che Diaz is like, it, it's like by trying to make che, che Diaz all versions of the queer experience, I actually feel like both the character and the representation of queerness on and just like that both kind of suffer from that. Yeah, I, I don't really disagree with any of that, but I think that it all kind of fits under the umbrella of fuckboy, um, because I think that I think the nature of the fuckboy is that they're going to, uh, they're going to be whatever the room, like, similar to Mad Men, like, what is a man but the room that he is standing in? Like, sure. what what is Che Diaz if Che Diaz is not in front of a crowd at why on earth did they keep calling them comedy concerts? <laughs> what what the fuck is happening in New York? <laughs> what the comedy concert? Why did everyone why did everyone say that like it was a totally normal thing and none of the other <laughs> characters were like, what's wrong with you? But yes, anyway, um, but like what like Che Diaz is always gonna be a shapeshifter and they're gonna be shifting to like whatever shape is the most pleasing to like the person who is like front and center giving them attention at any one time. So that that's kind of like, and do I think they're like written that way deliberately? Probably not, but that that's my interpretation of what's going on with that character. Well, and see, to me, that is absolutely the crux of it. Like if this character is being, like the way that a character like Trey, for example, in the original show, like Trey was Charlotte's Prince Charming, but like from the very beginning, Trey was intentionally being written like, oh, there's some issues with this guy. He's kind of a mama's boy. He doesn't really have opinions of his own. He likes to hear himself talk, but he's never really talking about anything important. Like, he just kind of lets himself be guided in whatever direction someone wants to guide him in. Like, that was very clearly intentional in the construction of, 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 (laughs) I was going to say, 
of Trey and Che and Che. I just realized that's <laughs> rhyming. Um, of Trey, the character. Che, I don't know what is on purpose and what isn't. In the finale, Che is like, I'm a fucking narcissist. What do you want from me? Or something like that. Apologies for the like vague New York accent I just did. That was uh, really <laughs> unnecessary, listeners. Um, and I was like, oh, the writers know that Che is a narcissist. That's encouraging. So, I mean, we know that and Just Like That was uh, brought back for season two. I don't, you know, I, I would not blame Sara Ramirez if they didn't want to return for a second season, given the poor reception of Che. But if they do return, I'm very curious what it'll what it'll be like to me. And I wrote this down. This is going to sound very harsh. I think that Che Diaz is kind of the Sarah Harvey of and Just Like That. Oh, I think that that is, I think that that is overly harsh. Well, Um, I can, and I can explain why. Okay. I can explain why. Because I think that Che is, is another character who is not terribly well-written. And rather than the writers sort of um, making different choices they sort of frame it as like, oh, well, that was intentional all along. Oh, we're in on the joke. But it's like, are you in on the joke? I'm not, I don't know if I trust you to be in on the joke of like what this character is. And also the that one of our main characters gets very enamored with this person uh, in a way that is hard for the audience to understand. Um, I... I see where you got that from. I definitely don't agree just because sure, like, that's fine. like I'll, I'll say one thing about like Emily's attraction to Sarah Harvey versus like Miranda's attraction to Che Diaz. Like Miranda and Che have like some very hot sex in the kitchen scene. Uh, whereas like Emily and Sarah get to have like some, some chip checking, neck kissing, uh, whatever happens in, in Emily's bedroom, uh, which I think is kind of different. And I also feel like Che is much more integrated into like the overall like storyline of this season than Sarah Harvey is. Like you could you could remove Sarah Harvey from like almost every scene she's in, almost every episode of PLL that she's in with like no loss to the show. Whereas if you did remove Che Diaz from this season of of In Just Like That, like it would be like, wait, why? What's happening? Why is why is Miranda constantly chasing a balloon? Like it would it would uh, be a little bit different. So I I, I see where you're, what you're saying, but I, I think that there are some differences. I agree that neither I agree that neither character is super well written, and that there is the element of like how much are the writers in on the joke or not? Like could they not just be doing it better? Uh, which is a very fair question. Um, but I, I wouldn't put her like on the same scale as Sarah Harvey. I don't think. Now, here's a question for you. Would you, like, if you were writing the Miranda coming out arc, would you, like, does, I guess I'll put it this way. Does Miranda's coming out arc need Che Diaz or could Miranda's coming out arc have played out in a different way? Oh, I think it could. I think it could play out in a lot of different ways. Um, I don't think it necessarily needed to be Che Diaz, but I'm not mad about it being Che Diaz. Like, I feel like, um, like what we're seeing of the way that Miranda's life is 
is that like in order for Miranda to decide that she like like there kind of has to be this lightning bolt it feels like like there has to be sure there has to be this like sudden unstoppable force uh that gets Miranda sort of uh dislodged from the inertia that it seems like she has been trapped in so if it wasn't Che Diaz I think it could certainly be someone else but like it also seems like let's say they had written uh let's say they had written like uh you know like a a well-to-do uh queer woman who's like friends with Carrie or friends with Charlotte who is like more Miranda's contemporary like more her you know more her uh same age or more her same social circle um less dangerous seeming I guess than Mm. Che Diaz uh, I think that if you create that character, that character is going to be someone who is going to be like kind of hesitant about Miranda and all these new big feelings that Miranda is like experiencing and putting on them and like all these like dramatic declarations that Miranda is doing. Like you have to have it be someone like Che. You have to have it be someone who's like just a total narcissist who's like, oh, you're going to blow up your whole life? Cool. I'm right here, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like just a total, like a total unconcern uh, for like the, the implications of like what you're doing or what you might be feeling. And who also feels like, well, of course you have these big feelings for me. I'm Che fucking Diaz. Like, (laughs) you know, like that, I I feel like that's just, again, kind of the fuckboy nature of the character. And I also like, when we've talked about like the original series versus, and just like that, and you made a good point about like the narrative structure of one versus the other. But I feel like Che Diaz is no more poorly written and no more of a dirtbag than like half the men that these ladies dated uh, throughout the original run of Sex in the City. I, this is very true. This is very true. This is this is the fuckboy of 2022, 2021, 2022, for sure. Um, I think that like I, I really like your point about like it's almost like. Uh, you need a Che Diaz to sort of encourage this behavior for Miranda to like get her there. This is another case where I'm like, I'm not sure how aware the writers are. Like Miranda is coming off as a lot. (laughs) Telling Che that she loves them after they've slept together like one time. And the show does not have my confidence at this point that they're like, that this is all part of like a bigger arc of Miranda realizing that she is being kind of intense about this. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're not Shay Diaz, you're also not going to, like, fuck this woman in Carrie's kitchen when you're both supposed to be, like, caring for her after her hip surgery. Like, you just, like, there are a lot of choices. Like, there are a lot of choices, I feel like, that don't get made if this character isn't Shay Diaz. And it's not to say there's not, like, another really, like, moving, beautiful, uh, elevated way to tell a love story with Miranda coming out at the age that she's at, because I'm sure that there is. Um, but I feel like, you know, they, they wanted to get from point A to point B, which is that like Miranda starts the series and she's married and she's like not super happy with how things are going. And she's like in this house where like, I don't know, she's, it's, it's not great. Like Miranda's point at which she starts the series is not great. They want to get her from there to this point where she's going to just be like, rainbow heart eyes uh you know all all in uh and i think they just wanted to like get from point a to point b as quickly as possible so like the quick and dirty way to get there was che diaz 
Well, and I think it makes me think of of actually an early episode of Sex in the City where um, Carrie is dating a guy who is um, an alcoholic and going through recovery. And not that this is in any way like a nuanced portrayal of addiction, but uh, this guy like starts sleeping with Carrie and Carrie sort of realizes that he's kind of becoming addicted to her and addicted to sex that she sort of feels like he's replaced drinking with having sex with her. And I do think that that's kind of something that's at play in Miranda's storyline, uh, because when the series opens, Miranda is struggling with some substance abuse, abuse issues. It does seem like she's kind of addicted to Che. Like she's sort of she's sort of anything else in her life kind of goes by the wayside if if it's not about Che. And I hope that in this theoretical season two, that is like addressed more directly. Um, and and I hope, like, I guess what I hope is that the writers don't think that they've told a great love story between Che and Miranda. I don't think that they think that. It certainly doesn't seem like it's being framed in that way, especially because I think that, I think that this does carry over from the original uh, world of Sex and the City, which is that uh, one of the signs that a relationship is not the right one is when that relationship is going to take you away from the other women. Sure. Um, and sure. So I think that, I think that, uh, I, I definitely don't think they think it's a great love story. Like when Shay Diaz like has a whole party and sits Miranda down next to her <laughs> grandmothers and then like is singing about all this pussy that she's going to get in California, or I'm sorry, that they're going to get in California. Like, I, I don't think that we are supposed to think that that's like, a swooning romantic moment. I think, like, we as the audience are supposed to see a lot of red flags uh, that Miranda herself is, like, clearly missing. Do you ship Che and Miranda? Um, uh, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I ship them. No, I, have I read any fanfic about them? No, I haven't. Uh, would I be, like, really devastated if they broke up? No, I wouldn't. Um, do I think that Miranda could have like a a love interest that I would be more invested in? Oh yes, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. I I actually like to me the love story that I most wanted to see play out was honestly Carrie and Seema. I, mm. I, I liked their relationship probably the most of of any of them. Um, another thought I had is like, is this how Spencer's coming out would play out? Yes. My answer is yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. I think so. Uh, yeah. I think that. Uh, I think that one thing that they're doing is that they are, like, when you have all of your emotions that are just like trapped in this tiny bottle for so long, once you let the lid off, like, look out. Like, look yeah. Out. That is that all of that repressed emotion has to like all of a sudden has a whole universe to expand into and it is going to get big really really quick um so yes i definitely think uh that you would see a spencer coming out arc play in a similar way so my feeling is that and and obviously this is very um this is very reductive but I feel like Spencer is Miranda, Arya is Carrie, Emily is Charlotte, and Hannah is Samantha. Yeah, I would agree. I would okay. agree with those okay. uh, with with those takes. 
Um, no, no real notes. Uh, I think that that's that's so Aria definitely has like tons of carry energy. Also, the the writer parallel of right? like, just being like fashion, so fascinated, yeah. yeah, so so fascinated by your own words and like this giant closet um, full of all your shoes and and wild outfits and everything. Um, yeah, so I definitely think that the Aria Carey comparison is correct. And clearly, like, the, the tight ass of the group uh, is going to be, like, Miranda and is going to be Spencer. Uh, and I think that, like, for the other two, like, definitely seeing Emily as, like, you know, kind of, like, the upholder of, uh, I don't want to say, like, convention, because, of course, Emily is a queer character. But, like, you know, she's the daughter of Pam Fields. She's, right. like, she's she a doesn't good girl. want you... Yeah, she doesn't want you to call other people's parents by their first names. She's not comfortable with that. Nor would Charlotte be. Uh, exactly. So, exactly. You, know, you you have that. Uh, and then, of course, uh, of course, like the does what she wants, knows what she means. Uh, yeah, Samantha knows what Samantha means. Exactly. For sure. Did you want to talk a little bit about Samantha? Well, I know that you were, uh, you were very, uh, that was one of your real sticking points when the show yes. started, started its run, uh, was that you really, really felt the absence of Samantha. So do, do you kind of want to talk about how that colored your perceptions of the series? Yeah, you know, it's sort of like, I don't know why I'm so full of metaphors today, but it's sort of like driving a car and it's like, you're, you don't really notice how smooth it is until one of the wheels is gone. Like, I think I didn't even realize how much, how integral Samantha's voice was until her voice was gone. For me, Samantha just, she adds this energy of this warmth and this lack of judgment and this sort of... um upward current of energy in a sense that I think especially in the group scenes you know when it was either the three women or the three women plus like Stanford or plus Anthony or plus Seema you know whoever they kind of subbed in as like the fourth character there it just it's missing the the special ingredient and I I really like I came away really having a a and real respect for like what Kim Cattrall was doing on that show, because I think in many ways, like she was the best character of the, of the original four. Um, and just brought, brought that sparkle, brought that twinkle that I just really, really missed. Um, I, I felt like, you know, I, I felt like the show for the most part, like did, did its best in terms of handling her absence. Like I can't really, um, I can't really fault them for any of the choices that they made in terms of that. Like they were in a tough spot, but I just think that the show really misses her. What about yeah. you? Well, I actually felt like they did a, as, as good a job as they could with her being absence uh they didn't kill her off which i was really yeah. glad about because of course that that must have been on the table like between you know samantha's breast cancer plot lines and with samantha being like a bit older than the others were yeah um, they they don't kill her off and i just think it is it, it, it gave it like some interesting layers 
to have it be like we have followed like the story of this friend group through so many things but now it's years later and that that group doesn't always remain unchanged like yeah fr- fr- and i feel like friend breakups are like very they're very rarely seen on television like we we yeah. have tons of romantic breakups that have been processed across the run of the show um but we've never really seen them have to deal with like losing a friend like Samantha who is there for them all the time every scene every brunch every time that they were at the bar like to have her be absent uh and to have it just be like a fact of life but one that's still like that still um confounds all of the characters in various ways they miss her too uh yeah. i think that that's like i i think that that's just a really I, I think it gave it a lot of texture um and i feel like the way that like samantha's absence um echoes like the permanent absence of big uh i feel like gave it gave it a really interesting dynamic yeah, I I agree. Um, it is like it is a lot to have all of this loss in this series that was like not really a series about loss, you know. No. But um, but if anything, it was much more a series about like abundance and having it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I yeah, I I do think that um, I do think that that it, I mean. I sort of feel like, and I can understand that this, you know, I can understand that there are a million reasons why they wouldn't have made this choice. I sort of feel like it's a situation where if you couldn't get all four of them back, you shouldn't have made it. Like, I, I, I just feel like that, you know, not to be too precious about it, but like, I just feel like Samantha is so integral to the show and you know, I mean, it's it's interesting, right? Because it's like on PLL, we've been talking about this time jump period where Ashley Benson, our, our Hannah, our Samantha, in a sense, has been very checked out. And, you know, you could sort of ask the question, like, okay, what would it have been like if they had done the time jump and Ashley Benson had said, I'm not coming back? And you had had the last, you know, season and a half of PLL with three of the liars. Okay, I don't think that Pretty Little Liars should have continued without Ashley Benson, but I do think that Sex in the City was able to continue without Samantha. And I think that one of the reasons for that is is time. Uh, I sure. feel like so much time has gone by in between the original series and now uh, what we're seeing in And Just Like That. Um, it's, you know, we're looking at at a span of like, what 20 years um although the timelines i mean the timeline of like and just like that has a lot of pll qualities of like yes butterfly flapping its wings like what month is it what year is it how long ago did anything like like big <laughs> big died like a year ago but like che diaz hasn't texted you for like three weeks like it's very <laughs> it's 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 very confusing uh it definitely seems like carrie's timeline is like kind of different from the timeline that we're seeing that like miranda and charlotte are existing in um but then again you never know because part of how you know that is like the seasons changing montage and the planet is broken with global warming so maybe that maybe what used to be like a year has passed seasons montage is now just like well this is three weeks in new york yeah maybe maybe that's how it is now maybe you just a season-changing montage doesn't mean what you like used to think it 
it meant. Um, but I think that like the amount of time that has gone by uh, gives more space for one of the core group to be absent. And also just the fact that like the show that they're writing now is different enough from what the original show was. Sure. Um, that I, I think that it allows for that. Um, but I, I also think, I don't know. I, I wouldn't trade this. I like this version of the show enough that I wouldn't trade it away and say, no, it shouldn't have been done if you couldn't have Samantha. Hmm. I, I feel like there are just things that you see on this show that I haven't seen on other shows. Like even just talking about like, how queer is it? Like, what is it? Like, I will say there's the moment at Big's funeral when his secretary is like sobbing inconsolably and Shay Diaz, who obviously we have a lot of criticisms of, but Shay Diaz has volunteered to be like the one who's going to handle it. Like if anybody gets too weepy, they're going to be the one who is like going to handle this situation. But the way that they handle it, they don't like bustle her out. Like they go over and they like very debonairly like pull this handkerchief out of their breast pocket. And you can tell that this like elderly woman who has been big secretary for like a thousand years is like, like the gender nonconformity and like the handsomeness and like the, the like, um, what are the chivalry of this gesture uh, from this like magical like unicorn Che Diaz, it actually like stuns her sobs into silence. And I feel like that is a very queer moment. Like that is a moment I will go to bat for on this show. Uh, I'll also go to bat for uh, Carrie after her hip surgery, having to try to pee in a Snapple bottle because Shay and Miranda are like fucking in the kitchen and it would be like extremely awkward to interrupt them. And Carrie successfully pees in the Snapple bottle, but then sets it on the bed and it upsets when she like shifts her weight. Like that is a fantastic scene. I feel like it is definitely one that you don't see really on TV. Um, the return of Natasha, who is like the plot line of Carrie and Natasha in the original series is one of my favorites that Carrie has been like cheating with big. He's married to Natasha. It's this whole thing. Natasha catches Carrie in the apartment. Carrie runs away. Natasha falls down the stairs and Carrie goes back to help her and winds yeah. up sitting with her in the emergency room. Like the, the Carrie Natasha stuff, I always felt like was really strong in the original show. And I love that we kind of see it in reverse here. Like Carrie again becomes obsessed with Natasha because Big has left her a sum of money and Carrie wants to like find out what's going on. So she's like stalking her through the streets of New York and, and going to all this. And, like she winds up like walking in on her in a coffee shop bathroom. Um, I, I love those moments. I, I love those moments. I would not trade them. Uh, I I think it was like a funny and a, a poignant show at some points, uh, and I, I it was I I would say that this reboot was better than I expected it to be. It, it exceeded my expectations in a lot of ways. Interesting, interesting. I did really like the Natasha stuff. I thought that that was really well done, and I liked like Natasha is a character who clearly has gone through a lot of growth in the in the time that we've not seen her. Um, 
you know, I did like the the moment, like, I liked that the show allowed the 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 women to have friction with one another, and um, that sort of. I found Carrie the widow at times the way that they wrote her quite insufferable, but I did feel like when she kind of made the point to Miranda, like nobody walks away. Like we've lost people. We stay, we, we figure this shit out. We talk about it. Like I did think that that was really good. And I did think that it pointed to a thing that like that the love story is between these characters, these women. And I, I kind of felt like that was lost a bit by the end of the, by by like the the 10th episode of the reboot similarly to how I feel like that was kind of lost towards the end of PLL um mm. and but I did the moments when that kind of glimmered through I really I really enjoyed um and you know it like a thing that I was thinking about in terms of like obviously the PLL time jump and this reboot are different but they're similar in that it's like you're aging up these characters to uh to a point where we're like what's going on in their world now right where what has changed and I do think that there's an interesting thing about like being disappointed in a character's choice versus being disappointed in the writer's choice yeah I would I would certainly think that uh that that's true and I also feel like there's a question with any reboot like who is it for? Like, what yeah. is the purpose of it? Like, does it speak to this time or does it speak to the time before when it was originally right. airing? Like how much is different? How much is the same in terms of the DNA? And one of the things that I really liked about, about this, uh, this itineration of it was Carrie has not changed but the times have changed. Like Carrie, mm-hmm. who was like, oh, this like kind of edgy writer because she writes about like sex and relationships. Uh, now, like when she's on the podcast, like she's clearly like the kind of prudish one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, mm-hmm. she's not different, but the times are different. Like the times have changed and she maybe hasn't as much. Uh, and I think that, again, that's, a very interesting story to tell that you like let enough time elapse with this beloved character uh and and just see see how they interact with like a really different time and a really different setting i agree i agree and I, and i also think that there's like the question with a with a reboot especially of such a beloved project where it's like you know with with a piece of of art like this people the audience starts to feel an ownership over it i mean sex in the city more than a lot of properties because you have you know people will say oh i'm such a carrie oh i'm such a miranda like people will go to new york and go on the sex in the city tours they'll buy the clothes that were featured on the show they'll try to you know live their sex in the city lives like sex in the city is a part of a lot of people's identity to a certain degree i would say it's a part of my identity and I do think that there becomes there can become this thing where it's like the audience feels like 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 they're owed something, you know, mm-hmm. like like this is for us. This is our victory lap as much as it's the writers or the actors victory lap. And so it needs to adhere to some expectation I have of like what the story continuation is going to be. And I think inevitably with any reboot, and this is an interesting thing, right? Because we live in a culture where it's like reboots are constant. Everything is getting rebooted all the time. And so 
I do think that like every reboot has this happen, right? Every reboot has the loyal fans that cannot stand to see the world change. And I do think that that some of that is at play in the criticism of end just like that. I also think a lot of that criticism is valid. Um, but I think that it's an interesting thing. Like you were saying, who is this for? Like, are there, are there new fans of the show who are, you know, coming in, seeing this and feeling a connection to the character? Is it mostly old fans? You know, I, I feel like the people who have, many of the people who have been really critical of the show, myself included, are people who were really intense fans of the series. They feel a real sense of, we, I'll include myself in it, feel a real sense of of connection to, like, our idea of who these characters were, right? And so, the, it is, you know, and it it's hard to separate that. Yeah, I can definitely see that. But I also feel like with with a series of like really beloved characters, um, I I am not mad that we got to see more story from them. And I yeah. feel like the story, like the sto- like the series ended, the original series ended. I feel like the stories that they're telling in it just like that are definitely like I, I guess it's kind of like PLO. Like there are people who watched PLO who were like the mystery fans. So not to a degree I was a mystery fan. There were people who were like the the liar fans. Like they loved the relationship at, between the liars. There were people who were like the the shippers, you know, who were yeah. watching it to see like how their couples would uh would come out. Um and so I think that like whenever you're bringing the property back, like you're kind of making a choice about which which fans are we really like pitching to? Here. Sure. Um, and I think that like the movies, for example, did not always choose me as like the audience that they were pitching to. Right. Um, I was really annoyed by by a lot of choices in in the movies. Uh, greatly annoyed sometimes. Like, are you kidding me? Aiden is back. Seriously, like we went through the whole entire series and we have big and, and now fucking Aiden is back. Like even after you get big and you guys are married, the choice still isn't made. And we're going to dangle Aiden out here like a like a doggy tree. Like, what is this? So like I, I generally felt like the movies were not like really pitching to me. This show, I feel like was like this. This show was like, I, I think, really good for like the type of fan that I was of Sex in the City. Like it captured, it captured like the critical mass of what I loved about the original show uh, and changed it like just enough to make it feel like kind of fresh and interesting and, and layered to me. That's such a good way of putting it, such a diplomatic way of putting it. Like, yes, each each story is, right. It's, yeah, it's it's going to appeal to different people in different ways and, yeah, somebody who watched the show for Samantha isn't really going to love this reboot, you know? Right. Somebody who always wanted there to be more queerness on the show might really like this reboot, you know? Um, yeah, I, that is a very that is a very good point. Of the new characters, did you have any favorites? Ooh, what a good, what a good question. Um, I don't, I, I really liked, uh, <laughs> I, I really liked, uh, I really liked the couple that Charlotte uh, befriends. You, you referred to her by an initial, didn't you? You had like a. Oh, LTW? Uh, LTW, right, right. Yes. Because it's like Lisa, 
Lisa Todd Wexley. Lisa Todd Wexley, there we go. Yes. Um, I loved her because I I love when any character on a show meets someone who is like their opposite number. Like when I was a child, my favorite episodes of Super Friends were always the one where like Superman had to fight Bizarro and like Batman had to fight like some crazy evil Batman. Like that was always like that that was always very satisfying to me. So I find satisfaction in Charlotte and LTW and their friendship. This is why you love Spencer and Yvonne. That it is what makes yes, sense now. Yes. Yes. I, I will always I will always be such a fan of that uh that particular trope. Um yes. Yeah, I actually thought other than Che Diaz, I quite liked a lot of the new characters. Um I really liked probably Sima was my favorite. I just I enjoyed her a lot, but um I liked oh I'm forgetting her name right now. Miranda's professor. Yes, I know who you're talking about. Yes, I thought I thought she was really good, and and I I hope that they find a way to sort of more organically work those characters in next season because I think they deserve to be more in the spotlight. I think that there was this big sort of um, almost press tour before the show came back about oh you know these aren't going to be just little supporting characters. They're all getting their own storylines. And like I think that's kind of true, but like I I wouldn't exactly uh I wouldn't exactly like bet money on that particular statement in terms of like if somebody was gonna come down and and judge it. Um but yeah, I think that they got some really good actors to come in. Oh um oh I also hope that uh Hari Neff's rabbi character comes back. I love her. Oh yes. Uh, I think yes. she was great and I think it's a shame that she only showed up in one episode. <laughs> Nia Wallace is the name of Nia Wallace. Professor. Thank you, yes. thank you, thank you. Yes. Um it's been a while since I've actually watched the show now. Um yeah, and and what about any hopes for season 2? Well, I I have a question for you about okay. Nia Wallace and about uh Seema since we're talking about them. I would actually I I liked all of the new characters. Uh, but I felt like with Seema, I'm interested that you say that she is your favorite because I feel like they were the most guilty of sort of slotting Seema in as a Samantha substitute. Um, and so I I sort of felt like I, I questioned a little bit like the originality of that character. I agree. I felt like of like I felt like she and Carrie had the most natural chemistry of any of the sort of new friendship pairings. And I felt like she, like, I can definitely see the Samantha comparisons for sure. But I, I did feel like there were, there were differences, especially because like this whole idea of this person who like, like Samantha was always somebody who never cared if she ended up single or in a relationship. And with Seema, there's, she seems to be a person who like really wants a relationship, but just like cannot find that person and is sort of eternally single, but not necessarily by choice. Um, mm. And so I liked that aspect of her character and I liked, um, I don't know, she she's somebody who I felt I like bought would hang out with these women more than maybe some of the other characters. Like Lisa Todd Wexley just kind of seemed a little too cool for Charlotte to me. And kind of same with Naya. Like I feel like Naya doesn't, doesn't really need like Miranda and, and her posse of friends. 
Well, now I, I have, this is something we have not talked about because I just learned about it today when I was uh, making some notes for this episode. Um, but Cynthia Nixon did an interview where she said that originally the storyboard had Miranda falling for Naya, that the two of them were going to fall in love. And that was going to be Miranda's coming out story. But Cynthia Nixon herself argued against that because she said, like, Miranda uh, had always thought of herself as a straight woman and having Naya Wallace, who also uh, was like characterized in the writing as a straight woman, having these two straight women fall in love. She said she didn't really want a storyline where like two middle-aged women were fumbling around trying to figure it out. And so she pitched like a relationship with like a, a more like visibly out butch character. Interesting. I mean, I can see the argument for both sides of that. I, personally, I think it would have been like a cleaner storyline for the amount of episodes that they had if it had been Naya. And I don't know why it couldn't have just been that Naya is a lesbian character. Like, I don't know why it has to be that, like, in any universe, Naya is like undisputably straight, you know, or a bisexual character. Like, um, and I, and I, I, in some ways, I think that would have worked better just because, like, Miranda is so adoring of Naya. And, you know, here's why I think that would have worked better. Because I think that, like, to me, Miranda feels the most unrecognizable of any of the three women in this reboot. And I and I could totally see arguments for, like, yes, somebody who's going through coming out and going through a big life change might behave this way. But, like, she's so adoring of Naya. She's so adoring of Che. If Naya was the person that she was falling for, in some ways her behavior, I think, would track a little bit more for me. Um, and I don't know. I, I just, I think that, like, it's sort of like you get there a little bit faster in some ways. Um, you have 10 episodes to tell this story. Maybe just, like, cut out the middle person and get right to it. Um, but I can I can see arguments on both sides. What is your feeling on it? Well, I'm I'm so surprised. Uh, I'm so surprised to hear you kind of take that up. I think the main thing that would be an issue in having Naya be the love interest is that Naya is her professor. Uh, even if they're even if they're both older, I feel like that. Well, yeah. that should be we should like permanently uh, retire that is, is my feeling. Yes, I agree. I think the the reason I didn't really flag that is because Naya is her professor for like one episode and then Naya is just like nebulously her buddy who goes mm -hmm. to dinner with her. And so it, I don't think it would be like a full Presria situation. But um, yeah, I, I, I also I, I mean, it, I, the other piece is I also see the argument for more butch and more non-binary representation on TV. And you would lose that if Naya was the love interest. Um, yeah. I'm not sure that Che Diaz is necessarily the representation people want, but. But remember, the answer is more representation. Exactly. The answer is always more representation. So I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, argue against it, even when it is, hey, I'm Che Diaz. <laughs> even when it is the one and only Che Diaz. Um, yeah. So season two, what do you want to see happen? Ooh. Um, well, I, I think we're probably due for the implosion of the Miranda and Che Diaz relationship. Um, I, I think that that 
you you can only like what is it like three months that the the adrenaline high of like a new relationship energy is gonna like get you and then uh you're 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 gonna be like looking at this person like oh my gosh we're in LA and you're like fucking half of California like I'm not sure I'm not sure how I got here Um, (laughs) what happened yeah (laughs) yeah so I I feel like we're probably due for like the implosion of that relationship um I'm interested to see uh Carrie kind of trying to navigate dating more seriously in a post big world um, and I am, I'm eager to see like, what's going to happen. I love, I, I, I love Charlotte's kids. I would see like a whole show that was just about Lily and rock. Uh, so I'm, I'm eager to see what's going to happen there. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yes. I, I think my primary hope is that like Che and Miranda, like that is not framed as a healthy relationship. I like really hope, like, I feel like if they're, the writers could kind of in some ways redeem that storyline for me if it's clear that like there is some awareness about that um and just kind of seeing Miranda like dealing with like what what happens now you know it's like the other shoe has dropped like I have a son I have an ex-husband I have these burgeoning feelings that I've never explored until now like I have this internship that I maybe just gave up to follow this person across the country like what do I actually want? What does Miranda want? Um, and yeah, I think Carrie, like, coming into her own more, and uh, I would like to see her do more dating, but I'd also just like to see her, like, finding more moments of joy. Mm-hmm. You know, this was a, this was understandably a pretty, like, joyless season for Carrie, so seeing her laugh more um Sarah Jessica Parker has a great laugh like I'd love to see more of that um and then Charlotte yeah I think Charlotte just like being more understanding and I actually like one of the choices that I did quite like in the finale was Charlotte uh being bat mitzvah I thought that that was kind of great and I would love to see that sort of uh spiritual threshold hold some weight for her yeah, I agree. And I feel like that was actually like an example of television showing a healthy, uh, a really healthy choice when like Charlotte is able to recognize like, I really want this. I'm pushing this so hard on my kid, but maybe what I actually want is I want this for me. Like yeah. one of one of my former professors uh, had really been pushing uh, her daughter to take piano lessons at one point. And her daughter had like taken them for a while and then just didn't really want to continue. And uh, my professor had really uh, like not been happy with that. But after she thought about it long enough, she realized that like she had always wanted to learn the piano as a kid and felt like, oh man, you know, she was still as an adult, like bummed that she never got to do that. So she let her daughter quit and she started taking piano lessons and she would do like the recitals with like everyone else. There was a child and she was like, (laughs) you know, a person who was like old enough to teach at a college and stuff. And, uh, and I always thought like, wow, that was like such a great, healthy recognition of like when you're projecting all of this stuff onto your kid. And I feel like that was like a moment that we got to see Charlotte have in the course of the series. And I thought it was absolutely terrific. And I think a story that we have not really seen on TV that's, I I think, an interesting story is, like, a woman who her kids are a little bit older. They maybe don't need her as much in the day-to-day. 
And it's like her whole life has been about being a parent. And so like what happens now? Like yeah. what does she what does she do now? And and I think like Charlotte's arc has always been so much about her kind of breaking down the components of the picture perfect life and actually like embracing what she truly wants and needs to be happy. And so I, I'd like to see that continue. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, I also like you were talking about how you felt like maybe the love story between the friends had gotten like eclipsed by the time we got to the finale. I actually thought that the finale, I really liked the moment when Carrie decides that she's going to scatter Big's ashes in Paris. And she's like, so I need you guys to go with me. I'm going to make these flight arrangements. We're going to do it on this day. And, uh, and at first, like Miranda's like, oh my gosh, I can't, I'm going to be in California. Like, blah, blah, blah. and so they have this like disagreement, which eventually comes to the point of Miranda saying, what am I talking about? Of course, like I'm your ride or die. Of course I'm going to go with you. And then Carrie being like, you know what? I've realized I actually need to do this on my own. Like I felt like both of them coming to those realizations was like a, a really like beautiful, like actualization of, of how much they've grown. I did feel bad for Charlotte though, because Oh like- my gosh, she was so excited to go to Paris. Like She was just like, I'm in. Yes, you're buying me plane tickets. And then it was like, and Carrie's like, it's all or it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, oh, and Charlotte. I felt like Charlotte and Carrie had a version of the uh, Hannah Spencer, you're the one it's safe for me to be mad at when Charlotte really was trying to get Carrie to blame her for, for Carrie not being home when Big had the heart attack. Yeah. Like Charlotte spends like an entire episode basically trying to like poke Carrie uh, into yelling at her. Uh, And I felt like that was like definitely a version of a friendship dynamic that we were really familiar with. I actually loved that whole storyline. I actually thought like probably maybe my favorite episode was the big funeral episode. I thought the whole idea that like Charlotte it keeps falling apart and keeps like really openly grieving and like Carrie ends up being the one who has to hold it together. And the person at the funeral home thinks that Charlotte is the widow. Like I thought all of that was really well done. Yeah. And again, I feel like something you don't see on television. Like you don't agree. Like you don't see like this, like, like hilarious and also tragic moment of Charlotte just like crying her eyes out and Carrie being like, Fuck, and like the funeral person, the funeral home person mistaking Charlotte for the grieving. I mean, I I just felt like there were a lot of things on this show uh, that were really well done uh, that I haven't seen on other shows before. And like we're in, you know, we're in like the year twenty, you know, when it was airing twenty twenty one. Like you know, we've we've been in prestige TV for a long time, and I feel like having like a perspective that makes jokes that haven't been made a million times before is terrific. I agree. I agree with that. Um, oh, go ahead. But I'll, I'll also say, so now I'm going to get into criticism, which is that then when the show relied on jokes we have seen before, it was worse. Like when, when the joke is that like Steve is basically like old grandpa, like old grandpa getting lost at the farmer's market. Like that plays worse because we kind of have a definite sense that the show could be doing better. Oh, I agree. Or like the the jokes about like 
Jonathan Groff's like young assistant who's like a snowflake and can't mm-hmm. handle criticism or whatever it was like yeah some of some of the some of the humor there were moments when the humor just seemed really dated um and there was that question of like who is this being written by and who is this being written for yeah, yeah. not not every writer gets to have a comedy concert I don't think <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. Whatever, whatever that is, a comedy <laughs> concert, a still, a still undefined uh, aspect of 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 the universe of and just like that. Um, do you have anything else you want to say about and just like that? Uh, well, I, I have one other question to ask you, okay. which is, uh, what are your feelings about Steve? That was like not to like not to center like the cis. Uh, yeah. man, but that was something that a lot of people, uh, a lot of people reacted pretty strongly to. So, what what's your take on Steve? So, my feeling on Steve is that I think that he feels relatively in character to me. I I think there were a lot of people that were like, this Steve is completely unrecognizable. I don't think he's unrecognizable. I think it feels believable to me that this is like what an older Steve would look like. Minus the ridiculous, like, you know, treatment of his hearing loss and all of that. Like in terms of his attitudes about like, I'm, I, I, like, this is enough for me. I want to kind of settle into this life. And if this isn't enough for you, then I, I don't think, you know, this is going to work. Where I more had the issue was like in the aftermath of that conversation that Miranda's attitude is like, it went great. It went wonderful. He totally understand. He's so happy for me. I'm on the next flight to Cleveland. And that then Steve is like saying to Carrie, like, this ring is never coming off. Um, I'm, you know, I'm in it. I'm in it for the long haul. And Uh, Not that that needed to be resolved, um, but I just felt like Miranda, Miranda as a character, I think, would have more respect for Steve than what she showed in this series. Not necessarily, like, to not cheat on him. I think it's believable that Miranda would sleep with Che Diaz. I think the way that she handles everything after sleeping with Che Diaz does not really ring true for me in terms of the Miranda-Steve dynamic, especially given how hurt Miranda was by Steve cheating on her. Um, And I also thought that the treatment of Brady was bizarre and, like, pretty abysmal. I have no idea why they even included Brady in the reboot. Have him, like, be off at school somewhere. My yeah. goodness. Like, that... That was weird. I guess that it was, was just weird. that, like, he's, like, a way of Miranda and Steve not dealing with each other necessarily. Like, they still yeah. have, like, a kid that they're interacting over and, and around somehow. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought that the scene where Miranda kind of tries to recreate her Che Diaz kitchen sex with Steve... I I laughed for like the entire two minutes that that was going on. It was hilarious. It was awkward. It was such a contrast of like where her situation is with him versus like what what she had just been through. Um, I thought that was great. But also people who are like kind of defenders of Steve or feel like the show mistreated Steve. I feel like some things that the show didn't really go in on. Like, one of the issues is that Steve has to, like, keep putting in his hearing aids to have conversations. I understand that, like, he's at home and he wants to be comfortable, but him not putting them in 
automatically when Miranda wants to talk to him is like, does he really think that like Miranda just doesn't have anything worth him hearing with his full attention? Like that's like a real interesting pattern there. And also, uh, you know, he's been quarantined with Miranda throughout the whole pandemic and he does not seem to have clocked her alcoholism at all. Right. Like he doesn't seem to have clocked her drinking, even though he is certainly around her uh, more hours of the day than like Charlotte and Carrie are. Well, and that's another case where it's like, is this the character behaving disappointingly or is this the writers behaving disappointingly? Because like, honestly, the the alcoholism and the way that that gets treated is like, it's like a shadow that you see sometimes and you don't see other mm-hmm. times, you know? Yeah. Although I do really like, I, I liked the the reveal on that where Miranda thinks that Charlotte has, quote, Amazoned her by sending her a book on uh, substance abuse. And then it turns out that Miranda had actually, like, blacked out and ordered yeah. it and not remembered. Like, I felt like that was a really, uh, a really great reveal. Uh, and I feel like that that's kind of like how Miranda is this season. Like she's just like getting these like mysterious notes from the universe and it's actually yeah. herself. Like the call, the call is coming from inside the house, Miranda. Yeah, I, I do. I agree with that. I do think the call is coming from inside the house is a strong, a strong theme with Miranda this season and a good theme for her character, you know, um, because she's somebody who's so driven by logic. So to see her having to kind of trust her interior self is really interesting. Well, and don't forget that, like, the point at which Miranda meets Che Diaz is at Big's funeral. Yeah. Like, so, so this is like, you know, Miranda is watching the way that Carrie is grieving for Big. Miranda is grieving Big as well. Like, he's somebody who's been in her life for a long time. Like, so she's kind of dealing with like mortality in a new way. And the idea of like, is this all there is? Would I feel for Steve what Carrie is obviously feeling for her husband? Like, I think that that's just a moment when Miranda is, like, very naturally going to be asking herself, like, a lot of questions and 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 having, like, a lot of these feelings come to the surface. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Um, yeah, I mean, it'll be very interesting to see where the show goes in a season two. And, you know, maybe they'll make some really smart choices. In some ways, this whole season felt like a prelude uh, to the main event. And, like, we sort of, I heard some people saying, like, oh, the finale episode should have been the pilot. Um, hmm. And I do think that that's an interesting idea. And I I am interested in where it'll go. I mean, I will definitely watch next season. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we'll have more to talk about then. We'll see. Maybe they'll all be queer by the end of it. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? If you were going to ship Miranda with either Charlotte or Carrie, who would you ship her with? Or would you bring Samantha back so that they could live happily ever after together? (laughs) Um, Oh, that's a good question. I would... It was either Carrie or... Charlotte. I think that Charlotte... I think that Miranda would kill Charlotte if she had to live with her. So probably Carrie. I think that's a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Uh, all right. Any more we want to say about And Just Like That? I, I think we've got it. Okay. Well, if you have any thoughts on And Just Like That or the Sex and the City verse or how the Sex and the City verse interacts with the PLL verse, any crossovers you would want to see? Oh. Right. 
let us know who you feel like is the Che Diaz of the PLL-verse. Yes. Oh, yeah. Who is the Che Diaz of the PLL-verse? I mean, there's also a strong argument that Paige McCullers is the Che Diaz because she's such a lightning rod character. Mm. People have people have Che rage the way that they sometimes have Paige rage. So Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, we'll have to think on that. Uh, but anyway, you can send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast. You can check out our Spotify at everybodyaeverybodygay. And you can uh, send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. Um, our next episode, we are going to be talking about Scream. So we the, the reboot talk continues. Uh, so we hope you'll join us for, for our next episode. Till then. Take care. Thank you.